All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Movies with a Spine. I'm Nathan. Chris O'Mealy. I'm Ryan. And today we are talking about Night on Earth, 1991. It is... Spine number 401. Thank you. It is Spine number 401, directed by Jim Jarmish. It is five vignettes, all taking place in the same night across the world. All of them taking place in a taxi cab as well. It is in multiple languages and features... A lot of different themes. Um, I feel like it's best to break down this movie right short vignette by vignette. So let's talk a little bit about the very first vignette, which is set in Los Angeles. Well, we could do that. Okay. Uh, we will, and we will. But I, I just okay, want to say could. I want to say all five of the places first. Okay, go so for we it. can establish that. We go yeah. we're first we're in LA, then we go to New York, then we go to Paris, then we go to Rome, then we go to Helsinki. And originally, the title of this film was L.A., New York, Paris, Rome, Helsinki. With no spaces. Uh, no spaces. And he, or he was just like, he was going like to combine them all into one word or something. Because those are the only five cities that matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the, the head, Ryan. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I've always think about Helsinki, one of the best cities in the world. Mm-hmm. Yes. Shout out to um, our Helsinki fans. Yeah, everything uh, but the kitchen Helsinki uh, is in this film. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I'll cut that out. Okay, yeah, let's get right into um, our first vignette. But uh, So L.A., Los Angeles, right off the bat. Well, right off the bat of the film, we see Earth. We zoom into Earth in very kind of, uh, how do we put it? Uh... It's a little, it's a little kind of off-putting almost. It's like a, you know, God looking down or like an alien zooming into our planet, while this like, uh, Tom Waits did the, the which, soundtrack here. Which I, uh, I mean, I know Tom Waits from other movies like, uh, you know, Mystery Men, The Fisher and, King, uh, Seven Psychopaths. I know him from his acting roles so i can't say i'm very well versed in his music at all so when i heard the song i'm like does that is that how all of his songs sound or so that is a very of this era tom waits this is tom waits right he he this is when he went like full like wacky opera mode um he made like rain dogs before this which is like considered his best work so yes, there is a lot of Tom Waits albums that sound like this, right? Just like this really weird, jazzy ensemble. Um, did you like it? Did you like the music? Um, no, no. <laughs> I'm a big Tom Waits said. So I en- I enjoyed it. I thought it. I I love how like weird it is. Well, right off the it- bat. I mean, right at the bat, you're getting this like screeching, like Viking sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I guess, I guess I was more alarmed. But I was like, oh, I was not expecting that at all, and mm-hmm. I was expecting something totally different. Yeah, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Robots. I know this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, Tom Waits does a song in Robots, um, the animated movie. Yeah, when they go down into the the hell pit. Yeah, and that was my first introduction to his music, and I remember that scene scaring me as a kid, so it just stuck with me. (laughs) So, 
you know, right from the top, you got my girlfriend asking, what are you watching? I don't like this. <laughs> what is this? And I was just like, um, oh, it's the start of the movie. I don't know. I got to watch it. <laughs> the first um, one has uh, Winona Ryder, though. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Then, the, then the movie actually starts. She wasn't really watching with me, just kind of oh, passive okay. viewer. But she was like, is that Winona Ryder? And I was like, yes. So, yeah, she watched a little bit because Winona Ryder popped up. Um, well, yes, we get... We, we, we zoom in on this like almost claymation earth. Then we see like a globe, close up of a globe um, as the cast is listed, right? Big cast in this film. Um, we get in a little bit of that as we go along. But um, Los Angeles, uh, right, what we see, you know, is very vibrant, right? It has a very vibrant look, very colorful, kind of like a, you know, it's a sunset look because this is the beginning of the night the night that's going to go throughout the entire film yeah this is the only city where we actually get to see a full daytime yeah full yeah right and the the colors of los angeles do match like a sunset look right there's a lot of a lot of reds you know some like mixtures of oranges going on and when you know when when winona rider who is the taxi cab driver in the scene and she she's pulling up to her destination there's like there's a lot going on you know but and it feels almost to me kind of like dollhouses oh you know what i mean like there's a lot of life right and it feels like kind of contained in the in the box that is like the camera itself right you that that one just a really striking image to me at least and and right off the bat you know, you're getting associated with the moods and tone of this film. You're noticing that, okay, so we're seeing a lot of, you know, scenery, right? And that um, carries throughout the entire film. You know, when we're introduced to a place, we see a lot of scenery of this place. But, you know, this isn't like typical L.A. scenery, right? We're seeing like... Gas stations. It's very 90s. It's very of this time because we're seeing like... The stuff Quentin Tarantino would show in a movie, which is like diners, you know, mm-hmm. or like these like fast food joints, just like kind of, you know, what's the term? Places no- normal people go to daily, right? <laughs> the, n- the normal people, normal gotcha. people in yeah, LA. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's the environments that that like a person who lives in that area would be recognized. You know, they would recognize. Yeah, if you right. were from LA, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I know where exactly where that's at." Right? Or if you live in that area, it's not like what a tourist would think. Where yeah. when you think of LA, you think there's, of a Hollywood sign or some shit. Yeah, there's not there's no Hollywood sign. There's no like, oh, there's the Grauman's Chinese Theater. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess I, I, thinking about it now, that like sets it up perfectly, right? Like this is the environments the cab the cab is going to be driving through, not just it, the Hollywood sign and stuff. Yeah. And it's definitely not like a pretty version of LA either. I mean, even no. when like when when they're at night, yeah, they do pass by like a lot of just not great looking gas stations and buildings. So I mean, and that's and that's the case with every city that they, they there's not like any amazing scenery, even though this is with all intents and purposes a a, a road movie. Right, Winona Ryder, the the character does not take. The normal route to uh, the woman's location she kind of takes the back roads 
which when you, when people think LA, they, a lot of times they just think insane traffic. So she kind of like drives around the traffic. So we get to see scenery in areas that aren't as... They're not as pleasing to the eye. It's not as aesthetically pleasing. Sure. Yeah, I guess in some sense, yeah. Because I mean, I do think this movie has a nice beauty to it. I guess, I guess there's some kind of like, it's nice to look at these things in a film because you don't usually get that. So there's I, no traditional beauty, I'll say then. Yeah, traditional, yeah. Right. And and she's on her way to um, you know, like the the upper scale, you know, the rich area, because the woman she's driving is a casting director. And the way Jermush, uh, whose name I feel like I'm gonna say wrong at some point in this uh, podcast, introduces the characters is very interesting. It is a kind of, there's a, a sort of a poetry to it in a way, because they're both talking on the phone and it's like they're talking to each other on the phone, but they're talking mm-hmm. to different people, right? Yeah. And yeah. the casting director who is played by Gina, Gina Rollins, Rollins. Yeah. which ha- she yeah. has an interesting story here. Her actually, yes, the actress, um, she is constantly on the phone. It's like this, you know, she's like a kind of, they're kind of both in their own way, like characters that could easily be like very exaggerated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Victoria Snelling is the character's name. She's kind of a Hollywood stereotype. Yeah. Like, and, and, and did we say Winona's name? Corky? Uh, it's Corky. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Kind of reminds you of Corky Romano, huh? Yeah. yeah. What a great film. Right. Uh, but we'll get to that one later. We'll get to that spine later. That's, guys. A, that's another spine for another day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Now, Gina Rowlands uh, was married to John Cassavetes. Yes. And um, uh, Jarmusch is a, is a big Cassavetes head. All right. Um, so there's the first, like, directorial um uh not coincidence but inspiration for the casting of this movie because gina rowlands this was her first film since cassavetes died um he so like just died too he, he, like yeah, yeah, he, he just died recently yeah um so that was you know that's a significant inspiration on his filmmaking that is uh, coming into this movie. I was reading, I mean, in the supplements, they there's like one instance where they kind of say like the casting of this movie, um, the way he handles the characters was he uses their like on screen, like what we know about these actors already from other films with other directors and he associates that into the character. So like that adds layers to their character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean. Don't give me those blank <laughs> stares. I know what you mean. I said yes. I agreed. I feel you on that one. Right. Um, but yeah, I it's but I think they do kind of they kind of start off at like opposite ends. Like, you know, she's very kind of stuck up at first and just kind of like like even like when uh when Ona Ryder's like handling her luggage, like putting it into the car, she's like, be careful with it. And you know, Winona Ryder is just She's like this like young, like rough, like tomboyish type of girl. So she's just like, at first she's like throwing the luggage in almost. And, and uh, so they seem kind of annoyed with each other at first. And they kind of have like this 
like playful dialogue where it's like okay mom like like when Gina Rollins like just kind of like scolds her so but you know towards the end of the cab ride uh they they come to like a, a mutual understanding they're like okay I, I understand what you're about now and uh, I respect you for it type of thing right they they come to realize you know not maybe not realize but they come to uh, terms with the fact that they are different people and that um it says in the, I think it was the book. I was reading uh, the book for this movie. What? Um, I the read book. the book. You read the book? <laughs> I read the book. But um, Victoria, uh, her kind of thing is that she had this moment with this character who, you know, who had, who like, who, you know, she didn't really understand. How could you not want to be in a movie? Right? She offers her to put her in film because she thinks she's such an interesting character. But she says no how could you not be a movie star? And she's like, well, you know, I want to live my own life. I have my plan in life and that's what I want to do. So it's like that character, Victoria, it's like she learns a lesson, but you, at the same time, you don't know if she's going to, you know, keep that lesson. Like if, if it's going to. Yeah. You know, it's like if the lesson is just contained in this taxi ride and then the rest of the day will go on right there. The rest of her life. Well, um, I do think she kind of, takes a little bit away from that interaction though because like you know in the throughout the whole segment she's getting bombarded from by phone calls from i guess it's the director or one of the studio heads like on her about trying to cast for the role and so yeah so she's like getting calls constantly like throughout the segment and towards the end her phone's ringing again when obviously we're thinking it's the same person but then she's just kind of like, oh, whatever. And like, she just, she's like, it's not important right now. So, I mean, I, you know, she's kind of, I guess she kind of realizes like not everything is going to be about the movies or the, you know, like I, you know, this is not something I need to deal with right this second. Yeah. And I, I guess it's just all about coming to understanding. It's like a film fan going up to somebody and being like, you've never seen this movie before and realizing, oh, well, not everybody's seen every damn movie. So, you know. I'm putting that in simple terms. This is a lot bigger, but um, yeah, it's kind of the general lesson you get off of this one, right? Now I could be like, you haven't seen Night on Earth? <laughs> the 1991 Jarmish film? What? Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of unspoken stuff, right? Like they have this moment together, but it's nothing like, it's not like a, a life-changing thing, right? It's not, it's like almost not very movie-ish, right? Like a movie would be like, you know, uh, Victoria like learned this like amazing lesson from Corky about like poor people or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> like she changed my whole view on the lower class folks. They're people too or some shit, you know? The smell of poor people. I'm giving up my job and living my life freeway. <laughs> it's never just this entire movie. I mean, Jamar, Jarmer, Jarmer, Jarmer Bush. As a filmmaker, it does not take the contrived way out. Um, oh yeah, that's what makes him an offbeat director, right? This is what makes this like offbeat kind of filmmaking. The, what he's known for. And in this, and, uh, uh, you go ahead. Sorry. Okay, and this whole segment um, is an interesting choice for the beginning of the film. Because it kind of establishes that, you know, throughout the rest of the movie or, you know, just Jim as a director, he's going to let things play out, right? The way he uses time, I mean, 
there's going to be moments where they have like pretty fast flowing conversation and then there's going to be lulls just like any conversation right especially with someone you don't know stranger mm-hmm. right I think I, those are the moments I really like is those silent bits that those are kept in that you get to just watch the characters just kind of sit there and share that space together. I like, yeah, my, my favorite parts of those types are like when you can see like the different idiosyncrasies of like each individual character, like, like my Nota writer has to sit on a phone book to drive a car. And like Gina Rollins is like, I need to look up this phone number and, you know, this is before cell phones, kids with all the fancy technology. So uh, she's like, I need to find a phone number. So she just is like, oh, here, you could use this phone book I'm sitting on. So it's just little stuff like that always kind of amuses me. And there's there's a little stuff in there, too, like in the New York one, Rome and all the other cities where we actually get like little fun, like interactions like that in it. Yeah, which I guess, speaking of which, we can move on to the next segment, right? Or do we have a little bit more? One thing I will say is like, mm-hmm. I think out of all of them, I think the LA one actually is the most, I guess the happiest ending or maybe like the most positive, like out of all of them, I would say. Um, and that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, but uh, cause there are kind of ones I, I think there's like always like a, a tinge of sadness <laughs> each and in each individual ones maybe but um i think this one ends on like the it's like okay yeah this this all kind of works out like us, us having this conversation I, I can agree with that i think the word that describes it really well is uh it's melancholy it's melancholy you know it's it there's a sadness but you know you, you can't really exactly say why it's sad i mean you know what happens in this situation is like she meet they meet each other they don't really like each other that much but it's just like these are you know quirky such a interesting character you know so um you know not necessarily in your face but you know she's loud and she doesn't really seem to be aware of her like you know who's around her or manners or anything like that you know the stuff that yeah. this casting director clearly is like it's all that's what she's all about right manners and you know formalism and stuff yeah um I mean, well but i, I think it's like go ahead right i was like well you know and victoria you know she's like on the phone and corky just all of a sudden just like plays like <laughs> turns up the stereo and she's like can you turn that down like she was like on the phone and corky's like what it's like oh am i bothering you or something like she just didn't even like realize that would be like totally annoying mm-hmm. and i love that simple react like that simple interaction that's what you're we talking about just like because that, that kind of serves no purpose just her turning off the music turn it down and then she turns it down but it, it adds to the characters in the overall mood so yeah good stuff and it's funny too it made me laugh Makes yeah me laugh. um but yes by the end you don't know like i don't know why i feel a bit of sadness by the end when she's leaving it's like you, I, it might be just because it's like you never know if these people will ever see each other again, even if they don't necessarily like each other. I don't but, know. Th- this one made me feel the least amount of melancholy. I, I right. would honestly yeah. say. I, I I would say that too. But even I would say in every single one there is some element of melancholy to it. And I, uh, picking this one, you know, the end of this one, you're right. This one isn't. It's not too melancholy, but there is like she clearly wants to spend more time with her because she knows she could be a star 
right? And, you know, that's her whole thing. She's a businesswoman. And it doesn't work out for her because this person is almost uh, too in their own lives to be a, to associate themselves with this other person who's like a complete polar opposite. But at the same time, there's things they share, like their love of cigarettes. Yes. Right? They smoke cigarettes there's, together. There's and, a lot of us. Uh, there's a lot of smoking in this movie. Yeah, right. That's just the Jim Jarmish thing for and sure. Victoria is clearly an ambitious person. And um, so, and Corky has their own ambitions that we learn, you know, you like this Victoria character clearly immediately, um, she immediately thought that like Corky is like a slacker, right? But then we learned, yeah. oh, Corky wants to have a family one day and, and wants to be a mechanic, you know, she has dreams and yeah. it's, they're not film related, right? Because Victoria assumes that everyone wants to be a film star. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's move on to the next one. Um, New York, New York City, baby, the Big Apple. So yes. in th- this one, we we start with John Carlo Esposito, who is uh, who is incredible, um, trying to get a taxi, and no taxi will pick him up. And I love the little fact that um, that this was all real, and they thought that a taxi would pick him up. But come to find out, no taxi would actually pick him up in New yep. York. Um, and then it, in comes a taxi that will pick him up, which is a old jalopy taxi drove by Helmut. Which, let me tell you, I really like this story. And I don't know why this one. I guess I just really like the overall mood of it. It was silly. It made me laugh. Well, Giancarlo Esposito is like the most energetic person alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's such He's, a live wire. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, everyone knows him. I mean, you know, he was in Do the Right Thing. And of course, uh, Gus from Breaking Bad is probably his biggest claim to fame, I would say. And now, so, and well, now he's the the villain in every single TV show. Um, yeah. If you yes. think of, if you, if you hear about a villain in a show and they haven't appeared yet, just assume it's going to be Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, obviously he's great in those shows. You know, he's great in Breaking Bad. He's in The Mandalorian, The Boys, so many shows. Um, but I think we need another Giancarlo Esposito like this. Uh, complete, just pure energy, just off the yeah. wall. Um, just... And so comedic too. I, I don't know. I find him so funny. And yeah. him, him and Helmut, it's like this the movie is now a buddy film. These yeah. two are like this is like a, a rush hour movie, but they're not, you know, cops. Yeah, it it's so silly because you know, the whole idea is that Helmut does not know how to drive, and uh Giancarlo is like, Hey, I will drive your taxi. Yeah. So and he'll still pay him. And I love when I watched this movie originally, I'm like, how you know, it's a silly, far-fetched idea, but I guess this actually happened to you know the director at one point. So it, I guess it adds to that realism, but like you're right, it feels like a buddy comedy, something silly that would happen. Yeah, it's it's so bizarre because I mean, you know, cab drivers, I mean, you pretty much you tell them where to go and they know exactly where to go. And like you tell him, he's just like, ah, you know, he, he clearly doesn't know like anywhere in new york because uh john carlo's like take me to brooklyn and he's just like uh brooklyn and he's 
I, they can't drive. So yeah, they switch places and Giancarlo has to drive them. And we kind of, then that as they're driving, we can kind of get the, the little interactions where they kind of become closer together. Yeah. They, they learn each other's names and that's a big part of it. Cause um, Giancarlo's name is Yo-Yo and his name is Helmut. And then they just make fun of each other for their names. Um, which I find I, so silly. What the part I liked about that was, you know, uh, Yo uh, Yo called him. He's like, "Oh, your name's Helmet." Like, you know, he was just making fun of him. Like, he was having like a good time. And then he's like, "Oh, what's your name?" He's like, "Oh, it's Yo Yo." And he's like, "Oh, Yo Yo, like the kids toy." And then he like he gets like real offended. Like he would get make fun of his name. He's like, "No, no, no, not like that at all. Not like that no, no, all. not like a Yo Yo." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's just good comic delivery. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's just really well done. It, it um, I don't have anything else to say. Do you got something, Chris? <laughs> to make matters worse, they're wearing the same hat too. Yeah, and then that's be, that's silly. And then Helmut, it's like something out of like a dumb '80s movie where he's like, "No, this hat is fresh," and he's like, "Fresh hat? Fresh?" And just like I don't know. Right. It's <laughs> it, the it's the fish out of water uh, uh-huh. guy. The guy who's the fish out of water. You know, the foreigner. And then he meets the guy who's like really, you know, involved in his world. You know, he, you know, New York and New York fashion and uh, America, American culture. But the way Jarmusch handles it, like once again, it's in a very natural way. It's nothing very, nothing contrived about it. And I think, you know, they're just so endearing i i love these characters and i would watch an entire movie about them but at the same time at the same time if it was a whole movie about these characters you'd think like at one point a story would start and you'd you know you'd kind of have to separate the characters and who knows what wacky you know adventures they go on but at the same time you know it's a, what's beautiful about it is that we spend so little time with these characters but they leave such a mark Right. Yeah, that, that's what's so great about it is like you spend such a short amount of time with them. It is literally just a blip in their life. Right. And you get to experience just that tiny little blip and it sticks with you. Just this little memory. Um, and, and this is the only segment in the entire movie where they actually have a pit stop. And in that pit stop, they pick up Rosie Perez, who is <laughs> I, it's his, I guess, Yo-Yo's sister-in-law. Right? Yeah, sister-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's, she's, she's just kind of like walking the street and yo-yo is just like, Hey, what, what are you doing out here? Like, like you need to be at home or whatever. And she's like, you know, don't tell me what to do or whatever. So they're just they <laughs> Dro- dropping like the F bomb constantly. Yeah. You know what? You know what I just realized? Cause they talk about this in the commentary about rhyming and uh, how through visuals or dialogue or just something a character does. Um, will be mirrored later on in another segment. And there are two here. One I just realized, which, well, actually, I'll get to that second. The one that I knew already is that Rosie Perez, a.k.a. Angela, mentioned, or she calls the two of them Rocky and Bullwinkle. Mm -hmm. Says, like, what is this, the Rocky and Bullwinkle show? And in the beginning of the film, we see as a L.A. location, Rocky and Bullwinkle, the Rocky and Bullwinkle statue. Another one... That I just realized in this scene, I can't believe I didn't make this connection. Was that in I'm skipping ahead a little, the Rome segment, he's talking about his uh, sister in law. Um, oh, oh, and that's his sister in law being sexually attracted to his sister in law. This gotcha. film, it's about 
it's about um, a man and his sister-in-law like who hate each other. Yeah. Right. Whereas in the Rome one, it's like they love each other. Yeah. Um, I just just realized that I think that's pretty great. Yeah. No, that's um, a that's a pretty good connection. I like that. It's um, fun. It's a good connection. Um, this is Rosie Perez's uh, second role she ever did, and uh, she actually got. Uh, I'm just looking at it now. She got an award for most promising actress. And she's only in this movie for like half of a short film time. And I actually think she's kind of memorable. I mean, it's later on kind of like what Rosie Perez would do. This is kind of her role that she'd stick to as far as her career. But I think in this, she's she's funny. I like her. She adds that like tinge of, um, I don't know, there's nothing like the bickering or just when the moment when John Carlo tells Helmut, like, is like, oh, no, he's a clown. Do the whistle thing. And just the look of amusement on like Rosie Perez's face. I don't know. It, It just... It feels nice. It she's brings joy always, she's always really like, she's always like a real big scene stealer in any movie that she's in really. Um, and she just has such of like an explosive personality. Like she's just all of her, every time her personality is always like a real larger than life personality. So every time we see her in any movie, I, she always stands out. And she's a great, uh, great swearer. She gets to say all types of swear. Oh she's yeah. Good. Yes. That was a yeah, definitely but, very um, memorable. The way she says, uh, like, shut up, and <laughs> yeah, the, the, the flip word. <laughs> but Uh-oh. this one, this one, I think made me. This one, I had like, I think I had like the biggest emotional reaction to because at the very end, you know, they get to the location where they're going, you know, they, they've had like this back and forth. Co- conversation over and over again they've kind of grown grown closer and they're just like all right we gotta go our separate ways and helmut you know is just kind of like oh what am i supposed to do and he's like and john carl was like okay you need to go down the road he's like he's trying to give him directions but you know he's clearly not understanding what he's talking about and then he drives off and the scene kind of ends just like helmut just like totally lost has nowhere has no idea where he is no idea how to get back home and we don't know where he lives so i mean we don't know if he's close or really far away so it's kind of like this uh we don't know what's gonna happen hopefully hopefully he made it out okay i believe in helmut i think he did it i think he got home i think it's so that's actually what i thought about this whole time this whole movie was like where the hell does this man live like where where is he from <laughs> like where 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 is home and how is he going to get there right uh helmut is alone lost in new york um just like kevin McAllister. yeah uh and you know you think about like the attachments these characters have with each other at the end of every segment you know what, what relationship did they form and in this scenario uh yo-yo was like really like worried about Helmut, right? He's like the whole time he's kind of patronizing him, right? Um, but he, he finds him funny. Yeah. Um, in fact, they find they find each other kind of funny in different ways, right? It, like it, it's almost the equivalent of ragging on your friend, right? Like just being mm-hmm. like kind of mean to your friend, yeah. but you're just you're just playing around, you know. And you really friend, care about the dude. Your friend like takes it because he knows you're just kidding. But like in this, Helmut almost doesn't really comprehend his satire or his like sarcasm, um, because you know it's like he, he just moved here, 
he doesn't really understand the culture or how people interact yet. Uh, he takes things kind of face value, but you know, he's a very nice man. Right? He just, I love Helmut, you know, he's, just uh, like, he's such a good dude. Right? Yeah, he's, he's got Paddington <laughs> bear energy where he like, really he's does. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's polite. He's my, he, he was my favorite character throughout this whole movie. Yeah, I really he's, liked him. He falls in love. He's a, like, kind of. He says, Rosie, you know, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's beautiful. Um, and the way the mood changes, it, it, you know, it goes from, you know, he's patronizing him, he's kind of laughing. Or, you know, there's like a joyous energy to him seeing his uh, sister-in-law. Immediately, it's like, you know, it's a screaming match. But Helmut is this... How would you describe him? Like, would you call him like a wall, like a brick wall? He's like kind of unmoving. He's kind of the same throughout. Yeah, yeah, I could say that. Yeah. Uh, he's he's just kind of like a fish out of water. He's just kind of soaking it in of like what he's experiencing. He's not really sure what's happening, but I mean, he doesn't really seem to have like a, a negative response. He's just like, oh, I guess this is just how people interact here. So yeah, and it's like got this wonder to it. Like I really love the moment where they're like, hey, that's the Brooklyn Bridge, and he just he looks so happy in the moment just to see the Brooklyn Bridge after all this fighting and everything. And I think that just carries home the kind of emotions that he has, childlike wonder. Yeah, it's a very bittersweet ending because you know they kind of had a good time together. And, you know, they met They're They're kind of they have a good partnership going on throughout. It was a good meeting. Right. Um, in a bad situation. You know, he had a bad situation at first. He needed a taxi. Taxi cab can't drive, but then turned into something good. But by the end, Helmut leaves. Helmut is lost. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know where he is. And then we know that Giancarlo is going to have to go upstairs or a.k.a. Yo-Yo. Sorry. Yo-Yo is going to go have to go upstairs and probably deal with, you know, his sister-in-law more. And, you know, they're going to have to argue. They're going to just argue more and things are going to get, you know, be sour. Um, so, yeah, great segment. I love these characters. This is like one of the segments I think, when I think of this movie, I think about how Moot. Mm-hmm. And then there's another character later, and, and Giancarlo and Yo-Yo. Um mm-hmm. There's another character later on I think about all the time when I think of this. Oh, movie. no. So we'll, get, we'll get to it. All right. Well, do you have anything else? Do you guys have anything else to say about this segment? I'm good. No, but it's probably my favorite segment out of all of them. That's all I'll say. I, I think this is my favorite. It depends on my move. I think this is my favorite most of the time. But after watching the second time, this next segment coming up, I really love this next segment we're about to talk about. Right. Uh, so yeah. we're, we zoom on over to Paris, where it is, what, three in the morning? Four in the morning. Four in the morning. Okay. Yeah. Um, our driver is just named Driver. <laughs> he doesn't have a name, uh, but it's played by, I'm going to say his name wrong. I know I'm going to say Bengole. You got this. Isaac, I... Isaac de Bengole. Good try. I like it. Did I don't I know what it wrong? is. I don't know. They said it multiple, I they said it multiple times I don't in remember. the commentary. I don't remember. Well, anyway, but, he, it's a, but it's a guy that's been in multiple Jim Jarmusch movies. So he's, right. we, he's a frequent collaborator with him. Yeah. Yes. Jarmusch talks about how this actor, uh, like he, he, the vibe would change just based off of his haircut. 
he just has such a like a face that that Jim loves. It's kind of a a stern kind of angry face, but the whole mood of this of him as like a, a character will change with whatever haircut he has. And in this film, he's bald with a band-aid. With a band-aid. A band-aid mm-hmm. on his head. Never explained. Uh, nope, nope. Never explained. But I think I think that is pretty good for his character. Because like, I don't know, when I see a band-aid on someone's head, it almost feels like it makes them look like they're stressed out. Right? Yeah. Or like you don't really know what this guy's been in. Like maybe he was in a fight or something. Like maybe. Maybe he's kind of like a violent guy, you know? I don't know. It, it, I honestly, I, I feel like it signifies like trauma of some kind because, you know, Band-Aid, you're hurt in some way and there's something in his past, something that happened maybe that day caused yeah. trauma. And we can see from the character too that he's got a he's got a bit of a temper. I mean, he, you know, because like the first passengers he has in his car, he kind of has like a, a big outburst with them and gets real angry and upset. And then towards the end of the movie, uh, not end of the scene. Like he also gets into a nar- another argument with another driver as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, yes, the film. This sequence begins with he has two men in the back of his car. They're like they work with like a chancellor or something. <laughs> They're like uh, didn't they work at the embassy or something? The embassy, or, yeah. right? They're yeah. like. Yeah, they work at an embassy and they're like very high and mighty. You know, they 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 talk like they're you know they're the cock of the walk, right? And they annoy the driver. Um, and then there's there's like they start kind of you know doing classism basically. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. they start talking crap about the driver without really knowing anything about him, just based off of what they assume about him. And we learn he's from the Ivory Coast. They kind of mock him for being from the Ivory Coast. Then he drops him off in the middle of nowhere because he gets so mad at them. Yeah. Um, because he's been having a rough night. This man yeah. not having a good night at all. He's up, he's like, you know, past the point of no return where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, this night is it has been awful. I, yeah. I just really do not want to deal with people anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and you can tell, like, because he's quiet for most of that beginning sequence, that he's just trying to hold back, trying to stay calm, but then just they they rip into him way too hard, and then yeah, it all right. bubbles up. They start the pain of the day. Yeah, he can't do it anymore. He's a a great representation of just what it's like to work while you're pissed off, <laughs> and you still have to work. It's not like because you're pissed off you can leave. Yeah. You have to keep doing it, and you have well, to do it. Or you people. could just drop them off, right? Just right. The, the the customer, just leave them. It's right. that easy. So then that leads him to picks up a blind woman, thinking that this would be an easy one. She's not going to give me, you know, any shit because this is. You know, <laughs> she she seems like a nice blind woman. You know, she can't even see that I'm from the Ivory Coast. <laughs> you know, she's not going to do any racism to me or classism. Okay. Yeah. But he's wrong. He's wrong because uh, um, she's just like ready to ready to go. Right. Well, it's kind of like the flip side, right? He got really angry at the people from the embassy, and now he's like kind of goading her on, like, "Well, what what is this? You're blind. How can you do this? How do you do yeah. this if you're blind?" And Faith. she's like, 
it's kind of like he's kind of dealing with the assumptions from like the other passengers like they're like oh you're from the ivory coast you can't see well like just all these like weird stereotypes that they had about the ivory coast and then like she's blind and then like when he starts like asking her questions he's like oh you're blind like i mean obviously i mean you can't see i mean like what kind of human art you know it's just like it she he thinks she has like this like really inferior life because she can't see and he makes all these assumptions about her yeah and really dumb assumptions too like i think at one point he's like how do you enjoy concerts and it's like what like really <laughs> like out of all the questions uh just like really weird stuff and it's definitely but it, unlike him she kind of sits there and she fights back and she just like comes back at him and uh well it's kind of like it's kind of like she's heard those questions like a million times and she's just like, ah, oh, like, like I got to answer this again. Cause I guess people ask her about it all the time. And I, I don't know what it is about that character um, played by uh, Beatrice Do Dolly. I want to say um, she, <laughs> cause she's not wearing contacts or anything. She's just rolling her eyes up in her head the whole time. And I, I don't know. There's something about it. I, I love, like, I think that's like going like the next degree, like the next level for a role like that. And I, I just love her performance. I, I just love her like sarcastic tone. Um, the way she plays off of everything he says it's um, she, she really kills it. Yeah. So from the start, you know, you feel bad for him because he's having a bad night and he's being kind of, uh, you know, attacked by these guys who are like on their high horse right just for for no reason just you know just because he you know nothing he can control um but then he picks up someone to kind of mock them right he's trying to take out his frustrations on her let off some steam and do exactly what the people before them were doing um because he thinks that she'll be an easy target because she's blind but he's completely wrong and he's revealed to be very shallow um very shallow and she kind of is uh has a lot of depth to her a lot more depth than he expected because he made a lot of assumptions um and, and she even talks about how you know she doesn't go to the movies to watch because she's blind but she goes to the movies to feel to feel mm -hmm. them yeah um so yeah all the cinephiles will get that one am i right boys uh I know, I know when I watch a movie, I like to see it. I can't just go and just hear a movie. I, I need to see the movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think, um, yeah, it's just interesting. I guess I wasn't expecting to get something about disability in this movie and maybe the assumptions we have um, with people with a certain disability, like not being able to see and, um, yeah, you know. And she's super perceptive too, because I mean, she's the location that she's like, oh, take me to like the canal or whatever. And she, she, he like, he drives and she's like, take me this certain way or whatever. But he clearly doesn't take the way that she wants him to. And she's like, uh, didn't I just tell you to take this way? I mean, like, so he's, so he's kind of like perplexed at first, like, uh huh, like, how did you know, like, where I was taking you? And, yeah. And like he turns on the light or, or turns it off at one point. I forget which one, but she notices. She notices the light changes and she's like, oh, why? Why'd you do that? And uh, he's like, well, how, how did you how could you tell? Oh, it was because oh, they went in the tunnel and the tunnel had lights. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. The tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. 
And she's like, I hate the tunnel. You can't, but you can't completely blame the character for what he does because it is four in the morning. And, you know, he kind of is like, has been having an awful day. I'm not no, saying, no matter I'm, the time, you can't. No, no, no. no. I'm not. I look, I'm not, I'm not trying no, to excuse his behavior, but I'm saying I that understand. like, you understand that why he, you kind of understand why he says. And he's not. A, okay. It's four he's in the a, morning. He's You're, not a bad guy. He's just no. having a bad night. That's all. Exactly. It, it's four in the morning. I think we all would be angry if we worked that late and we just had a rough day. I, I, I get it. I get it. Right. And, you know, the the end of the this sequence, which I, I wouldn't describe the sequence as very comedic. Um, this one feels more like it captures kind of like the tiredness of it all. You know what I mean? Like the there's a bit of a frustration to it. Um, but the end of the sequence definitely has a very comedic tone, right? It's, it's yeah. comedic. It's a lot of comedic irony. Yeah. Um, with, do we already talk about it at all? <laughs> Did you guys already mention it's a, no, uh, no. he gets, he gets, she gets out of the car. He gets into an accident and we just hear the accident. We don't see it happen while we focus on her. Right. So we're, it's almost like we're seeing it from her perspective. And it's just and, hearing the car accident, not seeing it happen. That's and that was just comedic. because they c- couldn't show um, a car crashing. That was like a budget thing, which actually yeah. ended up working in the film's favor. So it's really cool. Yeah, I don't know. This one stuck with me. I guess I just... Um, this one has the most tender moments of like almost silence, just sitting in a cab. And I, like I said, that's what I really liked. And I think this one was the one that had the most of that um, in a non completely sad way. I really like the inside of the cab in this one. He has kind of lights in the back of his car. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I really, I really like that. Yeah. Um, so the, the next one we are heading over to, Rome. Ro- Roberto Benini. Yeah, Pinocchio. Or sorry, Gebetta, Geppetto himself. Well, he was, wasn't he Pinocchio? <laughs> he, he was Pinocchio was... and then he became Geppetto later. Right. Yes, okay. true. So he shows up. He's a taxi driver in Rome. And Rome, I think I really like the visuals of this one. It's very distinct because there's no lighting in Rome. And he even brings that up. It's very dark. It's got this very dark tone to it. Now, when you say Roberto Benigni, I really, I insist that you say Academy Award winning Roberto Benigni, okay? <laughs> Am I allowed to say this? I don't know if people like this segment. He annoyed the shit out of me. I did not like him at all, man. I'm going to say this. <laughs> I I think this sequence is hilarious. I think Roberto, I, I think Roberto I, Benigni is hilarious. I don't think sequence. he's funny at all, man. I don't know. This, he's so grating. <laughs> I, I I like this segment too. Me too. Me too. I I think I think uh, Jim Jarmusch knows exactly how to use Roberto Benini because I think he's 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 absolutely hilarious. It's ad lib heaven, right? It's just like Roberto gets to just do his own thing, right? Just goes off. Yeah, this is definitely not a guy you want to put a leash on. So, well, also driving like a madman too. Yeah. And a lot of those times he was actually driving and they yeah. were, and they, and they even said in the commentary, like the one guy had to ride in the back and he's like, I was fearing for my life. Like when he was driving that car. <laughs> right. He, he, there was a, a really sharp turn he had to do with like, 
in this really small alleyway where there were police officers too, right? And he nailed like the stunt driver couldn't get it, but Roberto Benini nailed it. Um, what what a legend! He's just driving, like just roaming the streets. Oh, roaming! Oh, and uh, what 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 what? Were you about to do a pun on Roma? Rome, roaming, roaming. You know, uh, you, you gotta you gotta go with it when you feel it. Anyway, <laughs> right. Um, uh yeah he's driving the streets and he's just talking to himself just like just just talking having a conver- a one-way conversation with himself and he's just spouting out like all this nonsense like and like the dispatch uh, person from taxi comes in and he's like responding to everything that she's saying but in a very dirty way and like like how many times will you make love? Like oh, three times. Oh, okay. Oh, where are we gonna do it? Okay. Like he's just, he's just, he's just having the time of his life driving. He's horny, folks. Yeah. Yes. I, Very. you know, it it sucks um, that I say this because I I don't find I I wasn't really into it, but I guess this is the most relatable because I used to work a late night driving job as a delivery driver, and I would talk to myself. Like that's how you keep yourself awake, is you kind of just think of ideas, just talk. So I completely feel him on this one. This is like realistic in some way to me. Yeah, if if I don't have music or a podcast playing when I'm driving, I talk to myself. Or I just I do I do talk like the way he does in this movie. Right. And, and I mean, if you're up at this time of night, uh you gotta entertain yourself somehow. And I think you're he's a little- like a pure example of that. When you when you're up that late too, like your mind definitely starts to go a lot of places you normally wouldn't wouldn't be thinking earlier in the day because you're just like like my brain is fried. It is like four in the morning. Like I'm I'm getting delirious here. So yeah, and you get the feeling that maybe he's not the best at his job or doesn't really like his job, um, and maybe he doesn't even like uh, Rome that much necessarily. Uh, you know. Um, because he is, he's very, uh, very sardonic, very sardonic sense of humor. Um, and it's, you know, just blabber mouth, just like relentless blabber mouth. And, and they, I, I, I get how someone could find it annoying. You know, like some, when I think of like that style of humor, I think of uh, a contra, this is a controversial take, you know, to a lot of people. What I, what a, a comedian that is beloved that I kind of find annoying which is uh, Mr. Bean. Oh yeah, Mr. Bean's annoying. So I think of when I think of this sequence, I also do think <laughs> oh, of man. I think of Mr. Oh, Bean in Rat Race got, saying yeah. saying Hold I'm on. winning, I'm winning, I'm winning. Hold but on. The thing Y'all is, don't like Mr. Bean. Hold on. Not really. But this no. is the funny I don't get to it. me. To me, it's like the funny version of that. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, the funny so, Mr. Beam. I wasn't gonna I bring so... it up, Nathan. If you loved the sequence, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have brought that up. I know. Now it's the good. cat's out of the bag. The beans out of the can. This Oops. is good podcasting, right here. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I feel, I feel so sad. Look, maybe look. Hey. I, look, you know, this is off of past experience with the Johnny English film. Okay, well, Johnny English and Mr. Bean are different things, right? Right? No, but I've, I've also never seen, seen Johnny English. They're very See, different things. Come on. <laughs> I saw Johnny English. Okay, and I also saw Mr. Bean's Vacation and felt the same way I did. Okay, so um, 
but I've never seen the Mr. Bean television show. Maybe I'll have to check it out one day, okay? When Mr. Bean gets a Criterion release, then I'll like it, okay? Just, just you wait. Mr. Bean's <laughs> holiday is going to be on there. But... Anyway, we're off. We're getting sidetracked here, but anyway, we're anyway. He's got the he's he has this running commentary to himself, and then he finally picks up a passenger, which happens to be this Catholic priest. That's uh, we don't know where he's going, but he he picks him up, and automatically there are he's very perplexed by this driver, and because uh, <laughs> Roberto Benini is not definitely not your typical person and, and i think the priest can automatically sense it yeah yeah well because right off the bat and you know he's just like oh you're a priest you're a priest uh, let me confess my sins let me confess my sins you know uh, he keeps he keeps calling him a bishop he's like i'm yeah, not bishop. a bishop <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i i think this one is all based off of like um his reactions right because he can't speak at a certain point he can't come back and he just has to sit here and take this man just ranting and raving about his life <laughs> which um there's one so going back to what chris was saying about rhyming there's there's two very similar scenes between the paris one and the rome one where uh in paris uh the blind woman's reading his sign and then he's like oh like he grabs the sign and tosses it and then in rome uh there's this roberto benini starts smoking in the car and the priest is like coughing like uh, like like trying to show him he's annoyed he's like oh what about that sign in the car that says no smoking he's like oh yeah i forgot to throw that out a long time ago and he just throws it out the window yeah but the delivery of that line is not like oh oh uh he doesn't want me to, he wants me to stop smoking i better throw this sign out the window it's more like uh oh yeah yeah i uh that's a load of bs i don't know why that's <laughs> there they just made me put that there it's not yeah. he's not even like he doesn't care about the uh, priest's reactions or what the priest wants. He's barely even paying attention to the priest. He's just going off in his own little world. Um, and in fact, uh, when he starts to confess, <laughs> the places oh he boy. goes are uh, deeply uncomfortable to be discussing with a priest. Yeah, um, definitely very inappropriate for any type of set <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it, it goes from one place and then just um uh, roberto ups the ante uh just from one place to the next to the next i do like that it all comes together there's one funny bit uh, where he taught he well how, how much in detail are we going here uh, as much as you want oh yes don't okay. don't let us stop you well, he, he talks about um, pleasuring himself with a pumpkin, um, and uh, he does that. And I think, if I remember right, that comes back at the end of his speech, if I'm right, about he, like, connects yeah, it all right. to, like, the beauty of a pumpkin or something so like goes, that. Yeah. He goes from the beauty of the pumpkin to, mm -hmm. or, you know, masturbating with the pumpkin <laughs> and, him and his, how him and his friends would do that. And then goes to his first girlfriend, which was a sheep, right? A sheep uh, who his father sent to the butcher. And then he moves from there to the connection we were talking about earlier, the sister-in-law, his, his uh, brother's wife. In the two of them, he saw her, her big ass. And to him, it looked like a pumpkin. It reminded him of a pumpkin. And her... Her, uh, I'm not going to say the P word. I don't like saying that. Underwear <laughs> uh, reminded oh. him of uh, sheep wool. And 
how the two of them just immediately uh, started having sex under the, the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, it goes into much while, more detail. I, you know, I'm just yeah, summarizing yeah, it all up. Yeah. yeah, I, 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 I was yeah go say, ahead and watch. Go watch the movie if you want to hear all the gory details. But yeah, it is they, they definitely he does describe each of those three instances and in, and in very gross detail. So yeah, it, it goes down to like really like deep detail. Like I like there is one there's another bit where he talks about the way the sheep would look at him. It's like I know I know the sheep wanted me, very beautiful sheep. The way she would look at me, and just the way he was talking about this sheep about how much he loves her. And um, yeah, and, and gets filthy. Meanwhile, uh, the priest is in the back getting kind of upset and he starts to try try to take his pills, which we don't really know what the pills are for. Um, but, you know, Roberto Benini's driving is so insane that he drops his pill. Or what is he? It goes, what does it go out the window or something? I think it, it, no, it, falls, it goes in the floor. It yeah, it goes on the floor, but he, it's dark and he can't see it. And it, right. it, there's a bunch of other, there's a bunch of other trash on the floor. So you can't even see where it went. So he starts to suffocate, is it? I, I, I thought he was having a heart attack. Or he starts, like, t- he starts having a, a, a situation, folks. And ep- <laughs> yeah. So he's basically so dying. Like, he's dying in the backseat. Yeah, so that's the that's the comedy of the moment is that while this man is experiencing like his last minutes on earth being alive, he's having to listen to Roberto Roberto Benini describing like his entire sex life and it, it's just like it's so ridiculous and he's just dying and he's just like oh like that like he's moaning in the back seat and Roberto is not paying attention at all. He's just Still going on and on, not paying any attention, although this priest dying in his backseat. And this is a situation, this is a situation you could have seen in an 80s comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just like how earlier the, the buddy comedy feels well, something like something it's just like the, comedy. It's just like the scene from Dumb and Dumber with the, the pills and he's dying on the diner floor. Kind of yeah. like similar to that. Right. So another it's another comedy. It's a common theme in comedy, comedy, common mm-hmm. situation in a lot of like 90s comedies and i mean really any goofy comedy uh but the way the way jimmer schlitz jimmer the way he lets it play that play out is um both funny and kind of uncomfortable because what what roberto benini is talking about is like so dist- kind of disturbing <laughs> It's disturb. I mean, like it's bestiality disturbing. is it disturbing. Is. <laughs> it's it's dis- disturbing. He's talking about three it's, different types of like, um, like depraved sexuality. <laughs> well, yeah. Come on. It's a he, slept with his, he slept with a sheep. We've all done it, yeah. boys. Come on. Well, and then you know he's, he's lusting after. <laughs> he's lusting after his sister-in-law too. Like on the day, like he even like describes like. Oh, even when she was there on his wedding day, I could see like the lust in her eye towards me. Like he just, he was like eyeing her from like the very beginning. So, I mean, it definitely not the best individual. I mean, and you know, you kind of, I mean, cause it's funny. Cause you know, in the beginning you think he's just like this happy, crazy, go lucky guy, but you know, like, Oh no, he is insane. <laughs> like he's not, he's not this happy guy. He's definitely got some, <laughs> He's definitely got some issues. 
a depraved sex maniac. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and now technically a murderer. Yeah, I guess maniac is right because yeah, he does kind of kill the guy. Uh, and then dumps his body and <laughs> drives his, off. He's dumped, yeah. He dumps his body because he's worried that people will find out about his confession. They think he, th- he thinks he killed the priest with his confession, which maybe kind of exasperated it a little bit, like the the, the trauma of hearing all these details. But yeah, um, yeah, he leaves him on a park bench and just drives off to the into the night, and that's that's how the the scene ends. Yeah. Um, one one thing I really like about the segment is, like there's something about driving through really narrow alleyways. It's like driving through places. I could not imagine myself ever driving through. Like I would, if I ever went to Rome or, you know, anywhere in Italy, there's not a chance I would like rent a car. No, someone would have to drive me places because I'm not putting myself in this situation, but also add to it. He's driving the wrong way. Um, It's very stressful but I love the environment, you know, and I love the places. Go. I love the physical comedy. Like when he finds the priest who he thinks is a bishop, um, he does a prank on him where he's like driving to different sides of a statue. And the way the camera is like angled, we can see what the prank is, what he's doing. And the priest just keeps running back and forth trying to get to the car, but the car keeps disappearing behind the statue. Uh, I thought that was really funny. Um, so yeah, this is just a segment that is like firing on so many cylinders. Um, you know, there's a lot going. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, and another very small thing, but um, you know, talking about seeing the scenery and everything in, in all these segments, the one shot of him like driving forward, and there's you see the Colosseum in the background. I really like that shot. That's a great shot. Um, but yeah, this is uh, it's, this is where I get it gets complicated. Where what's my favorite segment? Because I really love the New York segment, but I also find this segment absolutely hilarious. Even if uh, maybe this character is not as uh, lovable as uh, you'd think he would be at first. <laughs> he's no Helmut. Yeah. I'll tell you that. He's much. no Helmut, no. folks. Mm-mm. He's Mm-mm. not. He's not. I'll give you that. But it is it is Roberto Benini at his absolute best, I think. Uh, okay, Chris. Uh, did he win what? an Oscar for this movie? <laughs> I don't think so. You're right. You're right. Oscars, um, you know, it's the highest watermark you can reach in any mm-hmm. film in the film media. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. medium. If you don't win an Oscar, why bother trying? But you yeah. know, what, do you, what about you guys? What what? <laughs> Huh? <laughs> what? Do you guys have anything else to say about the segment? No, I mean, no, I, 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 no, I mean, it's, it, it's funny. I mean, it, it definitely is like the one I will say out of all of them that sticks out like a sore thumb, though. Um. Yeah. I. I don't know. I guess I just don't. I'm not a Benini head. I think like we were sitting here talking about it, and I was like, oh, that's that's funny. Like this is funny, but with his delivery, I guess I just wasn't. I wasn't feeling it. So. so to you, Robert Benini, Roberto Benini, might as well be Roberto, Mister Benini, Bean, Benini, Bean. Damn, okay. that was a pull, right. dude. Right, right, right. All right, next segment, folks. <laughs> now next we segment. move on to. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you didn't like oh, this, God. 
if you did not like this segment with Robert Roberto, Roberto Benini, you're not gonna like anything with Roberto Benini because that's yeah, his whole shtick. I, I think yeah. that other than coffee and cigarettes, this might be his only the only movie I've seen with him in it. I've Down by law. Down by law. Yeah, I haven't seen Down by law yet. He's also. Yeah, I, I have. I've seen Life Is Beautiful. That's the one where he did win the Oscar for. Which mm-hmm. that one's kind of like a touching, sentimental movie where he gets put in a concentration camp. But yeah, there is. It's like the funny. Everybody tries to make it funny anyway. <laughs> like the day the clown cried. Right. <laughs> that, that, that movie, when I watched it, I was like, wow, this is good. And then at the end, I was like, later on, I'm like, wait, why did I think that was good? It was a Holocaust comedy. He literally yeah. made a Holocaust comedy. <laughs> I mean, everybody fucking loved it. It's so I don't know. So tasteless. Okay. <laughs> okay so i could feel like if the robert this guy from this movie he would do that he would make a holocaust comedy this character yeah this character and he did it keep him keep him away from uh gina rowland's character because she'll make him a star and then he'll make that movie yeah so if you see roberto benini in any pumpkin patch please run away run far away um but but we're going but I think anything else? No, no, no. Okay. So we go on to our last sequence, which is in Helsinki. And it is five in the morning. It's the last portion of the movie. And um, it's this one driver. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He, we could tell he's like very stern, very serious kind of guy. And when he pulls over and he's, three very very drunk individuals get in his car and that's how it kind of starts out right yeah the driver is mika played by maddie pelinpaw who i don't know much about but i do know that he was kind of a f- beloved for his work with aki karismaki who actually you know um he named Jamersh named a character in this Aki, right? Yeah, and then this guy's name is Mackie, which is uh, Aki Kurismaki's brother, who is also a director. Mika? Mika, yeah. Right. Mika. Okay, yeah, so there's... I was talking about directorial um, inspiration earlier, and that, that was a big one. Uh, yeah, Aki that Kurismaki. actually got me really... I made a video recently about it. It got me really interested in his work because I had never seen any of his movies, and just the way uh, Jim talked about his directing style. I was like, Oh, I want to check this out. And it's definitely, it, it's very close. This is the coldest. I mean, this is set in Finland and it's cold there. Um, it, cold in look, cold in feeling. I feel like this is the coldest of out of all the vignettes. Um, I, I really like the acting in this one. I mean, I thought uh, me, I thought oh, it, Maddie, I thought he did a really good job and it. Like he was definitely my favorite performance in the entire movie. Like he just, because he's giving this really like tragic like story that he's telling like these three guys and it's just you're hanging on every word and you're just like oh my gosh and like you just you feel such a you feel such an emotion for the guy and I thought he did an amazing job in it no I I agree that performance is really like really good he sells it because the whole idea is that like this guy that he picked up he's drunk with his friends and he he had a really bad day you know like a bunch of awful stuff happened to him and it's it's like the setup where um where mika here is like well you think you had a bad day let me tell you something um 
and it's just uh, it, it goes it goes dark places right um they talk about it in the commentary and in everything else that talk about the segment on the supplements but um jarmush uh wanted to make a movie or make a segment in finland um because he you know it's a finland films that area of you know cinematic releases isn't necessarily as um covered you know as in isn't as popular right films from finland so he wanted to make a movie in finland and they talk about how he captured like he in a way he captured like the quintessential finland movie in this sequence um because these characters at first are like kind of like not like they're you know very masculine right they're very kind of rough they're kind of kind of quiet figures you know kind of angry towards each other um the driver um he's bored it's five in the morning he's not a roberto benini he's a silent type um and he drives in this circle because there's like nothing to do um but then he finds these three drunk guys right they get in the car and they're just like you know assholes <laughs> and he's like oh god these these guys and it's cool yeah like you're saying it's cold and i mean it's literally cold um because uh, they had to shoot this right before the winter started because this was actually the first segment of the film or of yeah. the you know the shoot yeah they were um, shot in reverse order so it goes from these cold figures very masculine very rough and tumble um breaking down into tears um you know and talking about their family you know and just like having a very emotional experience on this drive um which in a way you could say it's like a good encapsulation of what it's like to be drunk, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you get to the point where you're so drunk that you just become an emotional mess. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's, it's really fun. I mean, there is like a little bit of comedy in this, in this segment too. Cause like, you know, the, it, there it's three guys, one guy is so drunk that he's passed out. And then the other two are talking to the to Mika and the, you know, at first, like he said, you know, they're like, oh, he's he's had a really bad day. You know, this is like the worst day like anybody could ever have. And after Mika gives his story, you know, at the end, they're just like they just start like like shit talking their friend and be like, like, oh, he's like a parasite. Like he does. Like he does. Like that's that's not it's nothing bad really happened. I mean, it's just they just immediately turn on after hearing the stories. Well, that and like just seeing these big burly men cry to this story, I guess there's something inherently comical about that. Um, Right. It's comical. And also in a way it captures the feeling of like being at the end of this movie where we've gone through so much at this point. Right. Um, when they're when they're like dropped off and they're like walking away and the guy sits down, you know, I think it's a it's a perfect ending for this because it's quiet yeah. and it's like wow we've been through so much, like these guys have clearly been through so much. Yeah, and like I said, like the one guy was passed out, so like his other two friends are having this big emotional reaction. They get out of the car, leave their passed out friend in the car, and the guy wakes up finally like you know mika wakes him up and you know he so he has no idea what's going going on he's just like in the cab <laughs> so he, like they, he doesn't know like this big emotional 
conversation just happened. So he kind of gets out on the car, you know, he gets out of the car and then he's sitting in the snow at the end of the movie. And he just, and like his neighbors walk by and they're like, oh, hey, Aki, like they're just used to seeing him like <laughs> sitting passed out in the snow. Yeah, it's a good capper to the whole thing. Um, and yeah, this is an environment that you don't really see in movies. I mean, like they talked about, I, re- I think it's in the book, it was mentioned that that area where, you know, the area where he's driving on the statue, like that area was used in the movie Reds as like a site for the revolution and it was like they were pretending it's russia um so it's an area that is that when it's in a movie they usually use it as somewhere else um but in this it is fully represented it's helsinki at night um and maybe i'm a geography idiot but i knew nothing about helsinki before this movie i was like okay cool it's very nice i actually i think it's a very nice ending I, I I think it's a good one. I think it was a good a good one to end on. So yeah, that's the movie. Went through all five of the segments. Um, it's a lot to cover because it's most of this podcast will be the movie just because it is. It's five short films. Yeah, with all like a story arc and everything. So <laughs> it's a right. lot to talk about. And um, um, yes, one one of the things about this movie is that in every segment. There isn't really the characters don't really do much, right? In the sense of like plot wise, it is mainly about the characters and the different types of relationships they form. Um, be it these like you know like Helmut and Yo Yo, they kind of form this like very strong buddy bond, or like the beginning of the movie where the two characters are kind of just like they have like a moment and then it's then it's like yeah I'm I'll, you know they'll forget about each other pretty soon. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, Winona Ryder's character already forgot about uh, Victoria Snelling, like, yeah. when she's driving off. And we kind of learned that because Jim Jarmusch gives a Q&A as one of the special features, but he kind of says uh, the primary, like, when he actually sits down to actually write a screenplay, like, characters are primary, and the story kind of just, like, forms itself to those people, so we can kind of see, you know, this is definitely a character driven type of movie. I mean, this is, I mean, there's not, you're not going to get these big sweeping stories, but you're going to definitely get like these interactions between characters that you're going to remember. Yeah. So going right into the supplements, get, jump right into it. Um, Diving in. So um, yes, there's the Q and a, which you just mentioned. It's an hour long yeah. Q and a, I thought that was a really nice way to get to know, Jim Jarmusch yeah, and his inspirations and the films yeah. he likes. Yeah, because um, I guess he would never do a commentary because he doesn't watch a movie past its release date. So this is like the best way to get inside of his mind out of a side of commentary. It is audio only. and I learned a lot. Yeah, I like this one a lot too. And I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i not well-versed in his movies at all. I mean, the only movie I saw before this that he made was uh, Broken Flowers with Bill Murray, which which really was not that big of a fan of. So uh, I, but I loved this one. So it was kind of good, but I mean, maybe you could kind of inform me, but is he like, kind of like one of those people like David Lynch where he's not really like, he really doesn't want to give away too much. I would say so. Um, He talks about, he just talks about how he's not really analytical. (laughs) <laughs> yeah like it's he not just really kinda... it's not really that he wants to explain things it's just that he doesn't really think about it in that way yeah uh, like i think he was would. 
he's one of those people that like he puts out a movie and then he's on to the next project right that's what the vibe i kind of get off of him it's like and then like he even said that here's like okay i might not remember everything from this i just haven't really thought about it since it's released in like 1991 so it's it's i guess it just comes from like whatever's new that's kind of what he's most interested in yeah he the thing i get from him is that he he'll do anything but it just like it'll be his right yeah I mean, he just made a zombie movie for God's sakes, and it was definitely his own thing. And it was released in theaters, and it had a giant <laughs> cast. And yes. it, you know, it was a—it's a Bill Murray comedy, Adam Driver <laughs> Bill Murray comedy, but it is definitely a Jim Jarmusch film. Yeah. Um, and in fact, that like I can't believe that was like released in theaters. I know. Like, I saw it in a theater, and there was a good crowd there. It was pretty busy in my theater. <laughs> like, it's, it's so it's such a weird movie. It's yeah. such a weird movie. It, um, it is. I, but, I enjoyed it. It was fun. But that's what he wanted to make. He th- I was watching an interview after watching that movie, and he's just talking about how he wanted to make like a zombie comedy with his friends, which mm-hmm. feels like something uh, a fifteen-year-old would say. And that's not an insult. He still has that kind of like energy to him of a guy excited to make movies and he talks about it in the q a where he just he considers himself an amateur so he yeah he makes movies for joy whereas like an expert makes things for money right yes yeah or yeah it's more analytical i guess like more like perceptive and he's just making it just to make it like this is what i want to make you know so yeah i I like the q a yeah q a was solid yeah Yeah, q a was good it's like and listening then, to a, a Jim Jarmusch podcast. I, I like it. Yeah. I'd be for it. it. Yeah, that's and this is definitely it, like like you said, it's audio only. So I mean, if you're washing dishes, folding laundry or something like that, you can put it on the background. It's a, it's a good listen. And there's a there's a good amount of comedy in it because he kind of makes fun of the people that are asking these questions. Like, oh, oh okay, yeah. you you're asking quite a lot of questions here. Yeah, it's like I'm just gonna like, skip yeah. some. Yeah, it's like this is yeah, or like there's one guy that that was like, uh, it's like with the slew of great movies that are coming out from studios. Like that's your opinion. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> and then there's like weird music questions. Like, do you like Elvis or like some other dude? And it's like, why? Um, so then there's the, the commentary, which yeah. it says on here, it's a selected scene commentary, but it's, it's literally every scene in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's every scene, but just segmented. I think it's yeah. shorter. Some of the, some of the commentaries cut off before the end. Yeah. Okay. Like the, like in New yeah. York, like when they get to the Brooklyn bridge, that's where it ends there, but it's pretty much the entire scene almost, but yeah. So it, yeah. Hmm. I was going to say, I really like the perspectives on this one because you have the director of photography, uh, Frederick Elms, and the location sound mixer, Drew Kunin. So you get like a really interesting perspective on this commentary. You get to hear a lot about the car audio. You get to hear a lot about what they did with the lighting rigs, which I didn't even know how they lit cars and movies with like this rig from the outside that would shine lights like everything was moving. And that was really interesting to hear about. Also getting like noise from car the inside of the car for that room noise and everything it, it was a cool perspective yeah they talked about how it looks it looked like a ufo coming to town um and it's a really good commentary if you're interested in technical aspects of filmmaking <laughs> absolutely really good for that because they do go pretty in depth and they talk about 
um, looking for the right film stock for each sequence and what 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 types of lights they used for every sequence to uh, get the different feelings and looks and tones that they wanted. And I mean, watching the movie, they I mean, they I think they pretty much nailed it because like each sequence does have its own kind of feeling. Some are a little bit more similar to each other, but each environment does kind of have its own vibe that they capture really well. Um, I didn't dislike the commentary, but I did find it to be a little repetitive because I, I can't, I feels like almost every segment they're like, well, you know, we had to have two cars and, you know, one car is pulling the other car and, uh, and, and we, one car was used for the interior. And then, and they, I just feel like I heard so many of the same facts, like multiple times. And it was like, all right, I get it. Like, I, I get how you film the scene. And so, I mean, it's not like my favorite commentary. Um, I mean, there are some really cool tidbits in there. They have a couple of cool stories, like how these like random street sweepers in Paris just knew who Jim Jarmusch was at like at three in the morning. So, I mean, there's like little fun stuff like that. But I mean, if you're looking like, like you said, I mean, if you're wondering like, how did they film this movie? I mean, this is a really good one, but if you're wanting like a real comprehensive one, like why they went with this actor or why they like, why this scene was made this way, it's, it's not really going to answer those type of questions. Yeah. It, it's, it's more like Chris said, technical than like analytical. Um, I did watch it over multiple days. So maybe that's why I didn't, I guess I didn't find it as grading. Yeah. I don't know. Did you watch it in one I did, day? Well, I did. I watched it back to back to back. So I, I watched it today, all of them. Um, yeah, there were parts where, like, it's like when I'm listening to a podcast or something where I kind of zone out a little, just because, right, they do repeat the same thing a lot of the times. But, you know, there's still there's still a few good stories in there. I, I mean, naturally, I'll always like a commentary more when they share, like, funny stories or, like, insane stories that happened. One story that was actually from the Q&A, <laughs> the question was, did, what's the wackiest thing that happened on set? And then Jim Jarmusch is like, uh, the wackiest thing I would say, uh, the, uh, the car got stuck on a trolley track <laughs> and we had to pull the trolley off, or we had to pull the car off the track before the trolley smashed into them. <laughs> <laughs> that's the yeah. wackiest thing yeah. that happened and he made it seem like it was like like not even that big of a deal right like he was just like yeah, we, we had we had to get some help from somebody to push it off the track and like <laughs> no like sense of urgency in his voice yeah that was yeah. funny um but yeah yeah the commentary i mean what definitely helps the commentary too is just the fact that it's sliced into these into each sequence and then we get one there's we get one final supplement where we get uh Jim Jarmusch going on a uh, director's driving getting donuts or whatever like comedians in cars <laughs> so uh yeah, whatever Belgium it is in Belgium <laughs> yeah so it's it's a little 5 minute deal like and he just kind of explains like how like i guess uh like they ask him like how does he you know how is how is he able to film these like like foreign actors when he's not when he is american and you know he says you know he's well versed in other languages but he says you really don't need to be 100 percent fluent in languages to be able to direct actors you know you can kind of go off of emotional so 
this is one of the those special criterion uh, special features where it's like super short not not too much content out of it they just kind of like put it on there it's, just because they had it. Yeah, it it's five minutes long it's not very long at all yeah this i actually forgot to watch this but i did turn it i watched like maybe 30 seconds of it because it, then i was like oh wait i should be watching the commentary instead um, but then I forgot to go back. But it looked like it was just promotional material for the movie. Cool to see the director, though, in person. Cool dude. Um, he is good. Right. He's a very good uh, head of hair, like David Lynch. They kind of yeah. He's that. got that style. He has, it's such a cool style. I, I wish I could make my hair like that, but I uh, could yeah. never. I could never, folks. But um, Chris, you own this. What do you What do you think about that cover? Well, I did. I did get this one. Um, I can't see it. You guys can't see it because my background <laughs> keeps taking over. But um, I really I like the cover of this one a lot. I like the colors. It's yellow and black, like a taxi cab. Um, and it has the characters on the front. And, yeah, I like it. It has a good look to it. Um, it's, a, it's a nice sturdy case, folks. Nice sturdy case. Classic jewel case. Um, and there was a book inside, you said? <laughs> a book that um a spine boy read this time so i did read the book this time and the way they do it is like each paragraph is you know each segment so there's one segment for uh, la one for new york the one they're pretty good there's one that really disappointed me though which was uh the uh rome one where they talk about uh, that sequence there's maybe one paragraph in the whole <laughs> thing that even refers to that segment because it just talks about some other thing like it just talks about who cares like it just talks about other stuff but um when they talk about he, he boils down roberto benini's character to a a symbol of the italian the dumbing down of the italian masses what the fuck? And how what? Italians are getting sounds, stupider. This yeah, sounds that's... like a movie, like a review from our bad yeah. movie section. Yeah, uh, that's that's for the next segment. It's yeah. uh, it's very pretentious, very pretentious. I mean, some of these some of these uh, essays do have a lot of they stink of pretension, but some of them are very nice reads, and they uh, go into Jarmusch's history very well. He he uh, started off as a poet, so. It just kind of surprises me, though. So, like, that's written in the official release. So, I'm guessing Jim Jarmusch had something to do with the Criterion. And so, do you think maybe. he, like, read the book? Or maybe. I don't I mean, know. It was written for... These excerpts were written for the release. Um, they weren't, like, taken from a magazine or anything. So, um, that's something he wrote, then. What, what do you mean? Like, he maybe he saw I, it. I don't know. Did I don't I, know, Does he have to approve of it? Because I feel like it I might don't have just know. Been... I, well, the point I'm making it is is like you know he sees somebody wrote that and then like he reads that and he's like oh yeah that's that's exactly what I was going for. I mean, who knows? Because I feel like I feel like Jim doesn't own this. <laughs> and I don't think he cares because he knows he's not going to watch it. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, kind of so... weird. But uh, otherwise, pretty good booklet. I, I'd well, recommend it. I mean, I bought it, so. Yeah, I, I think it's a buy it. I think this one's worthy of a buy. I think it's a good movie. It's a good Jim Jim movie. I think he should. Uh, it's it's probably a good starting point. Uh, yeah, it's it's technically my starting point. Like I said, if I don't count Broken Flowers, because and uh, I this is definitely a buy it for me because after this, I 
I have 100% plan on buying Night on Earth when it does go on the flash sale and possibly a couple of his other movies. Right. Uh, Down by Law, that's going to be a good oh, one to pick up. It, if you get Ghost Dog, we'll all own Ghost Dog. <sighs> Ghost Dog. There you go. We're going to do Ghost yeah. Dog. Um, yeah. So let's Sounds get into spooky. our... What's our next <laughs> sequence? Uh, I, I think it's the... It's time for everyone's favorite sequence, right? Let's get a little... Let's take our spine, remove it from your body. Just like in my favorite movie. These are... Mortal well, Kombat. I, <laughs> Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yes. So what, what we, no spoilers. Chris, I'm sorry. It. So what are we, we were calling... I, Chris had a good phrase. We're calling these spineless reviews. <laughs> Spineless. <laughs> hey, you don't agree with us? You must be a little spineless cretin. <laughs> well, there are uh, definitely some people who did not like these movies. All three of us recommended this as a buy it, but one man's treasure is another man's trash. So let's just dive right into it. So this one is from 2001. This is a one-star review. It's just titled Boring. <laughs> so, and they review each individual segment. So, segment one, <laughs> an unentertaining, if energetic, attempt to one-up the four-letter word count achieved by Goodfellas. Anyone who has flown once or twice will realize that director had no money to employ extras at the LAX location. Never in the history of aviation has coast-to-coast passenger stood alone at the prime baggage chute location at the luggage carousel just before the bags to drop. Before the bags to drop, unreal fantasy. The phone calls were poorly acted and unbelievable, painfully obvious plot device. <laughs> the station wagon's windows were up in one scene, then down and down when an actor needed to reach through, and then up, then down. Continuity not. Uh, Wider's Wider's fake uh, Winona uh, Winona Wider's fake auto driving was a poor a chronic three inch back and forth jerk all the way from LAX to the hills not real life segment two (laughs) segment two a comedy with funny moments pulled down by obnoxious overacting Uh, emotional aspects were played two notches above real life one other reality check taxi passengers cannot be locked inside the back of a cab locking and unlocking is controllable from inside the back seat segment three a stunning looking blind woman a most interesting concept most interesting however the execution of segment three went nowhere for a blind lady wanting to use a taxi to go home she certainly was dropped off far from her doorstep, huh? Segment four and five, I ran out fast towards the end of segment three, hoping to avoid the film's slow, pretentious gypsy theme music, ineffective, awkward, and out of place. <laughs> Tom waits his gypsy music. Okay. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, this guy sounds like a lot of fun to go to movies with. Just every like continuity error, inaccuracy. This this is what Cinema Sins was doing in two thousand one. Yeah, right. Review. Oh, that's that's who wrote it. Cinema Sins. Nice, nice. After every every sentence, he just skipped over the ding. He references a door locking from the inside. 
uh, which is like in one shot and happens once when when I, he puts Gina around or not Gina Rounds, what the hell? Um, Rosie, Perez. Rosie Perez. When he puts Rosie yeah. Perez in the car. Um I'll ruin the whole movie for me. She can't Next. get out. Um that there, that's there, when I walked out of the theater, folks. You're you're telling me that the in the airport scene there wasn't people in the background? You gotta be what? kidding me. I've been Garbage. to LXX one or twice. So I think I know what an airport looks like. And you know what the funny thing is? That's not even LAX. So <laughs> okay. Hey, it's like a little tiny airport. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. All right. Oh, this is what I gotta say to that one. Moron. <laughs> Ding. Ding. Not real. All right. This one is just called terrible. Um, I can't believe IMDb watchers rated this a 7.7 stars. They must have been high on some kind of serious drugs or something. Five pointless stories about five foreign cab drivers what the film (laughs) makes you think that something is going to happen around the next turn but nothing does no cool twist or anything funny just boring stories that made my girlfriend fall asleep the first two stories were better than the last three (laughs) the boring story with winona Ryder was probably the best and this was one of her first movie and must not have read the script very well wrong <laughs> she must she must have needed somebody real bad to decide to do this horrible movie get ready to put some earplugs in when you see rosie perez coming with her <sighs> annoying shrieking voice of darkness the scene was very was really annoying uh was really annoying even the drunks in the ghetto wanted to tell her to shut up i was hoping that each story might have some type of twist coming into the plot but they never did and i was very surprised i watched the last two stories they just got worse as they went along the last of the three are even captioned you have to take the extra energy to read the words really wait you're not joking you're this is what he really wrote (laughs) don't bother with this movie it really sucked absolutely pointless none of them had any substance one star oh god this guy just got back from seeing like signs and was like damn I, my every movie needs a twist i, I want a, i want a twist uh, i i i immediately i mean i get it you don't like foreign movies but if that's like your primary like reason why you hated the movie i just i can't take you seriously no. yeah sorry that like that is uh, i'll say it that opinion is wrong if, if you like write a review and say i had to read it it sucked and right. then he's like, he's like, first first thing I'm gonna do is go after the women in this film. Yeah, I'm, I'm well, gonna call. I'm gonna say Rosie Perez is shrieking. Her, <laughs> wait, did he say her shrieking voice of darkness? Yeah, of darkness. Shriek. Annoying right. shrieking voice of darkness. And then like, just gonna be a little low key racist. And then I'm gonna go right into <laughs> how I hate foreign movies. <laughs> and called yeah. all is this the they call all the cab drivers foreign? Yeah, no, all the cab drivers are foreign. <laughs> uh, they're not foreign if they're in the country they live. In. <laughs> There's only one foreign cab driver yeah, in the whole movie. There is one. Well, no, Ryan, they're they're foreign to him. Okay, they're foreign to the writer. Well, I don't. All right. Well, I don't know where this writer lived. They could live in Helsinki for all I know. Maybe we don't know. <laughs> You're right. I've I've assumed too much. All right. Well, those are the only two one star reviews. So I'll read uh, one two star review just to kind of cap it off. Um, 
So this one's called Deadly Doll. And the so I, I normally don't read the username because I just of anonymity, but this one is actually written by Gene Siskel, but it's from 2014. <laughs> So I'm guessing this is not James Siskel. <laughs> he went into hiding. <laughs> it came, he rose from the dead to write a review for this. Anyway, uh, Jim Jarmusch is an acquired taste at best. This 1991 movie, which was, which was produced, directed, and written by Jarmusch, is s- slow, self-indulgent, and horribly scripted. Five scenes in five dark cities played out at night. These, ta- these are taxi scenes, but take it from me, folks. I haven't driven a taxi in two cities, only one of them dark. And every night that I drove, I returned home with at least one story to relate that was better than these. It was painful to watch Gina Rollins or Winona Ryder, for example, deliver lines that make them look like beginning actors. Only Roberto Benigni, who probably wrote his own comic bit, sustains any interest. <laughs> Enjoy another film. Wow. Jesus, you good, Chris? So, uh, my la- uh, my desktop went out again, and now it stays out. Mm. <laughs> What's going well, on? Sorry, that's my response to the reviews. That my desktop <laughs> like killed itself. Uh, I was trying to look up the real review from Gene Siskel, but I would have had to watch the um the the episode, so I did not. Wait, so yeah. was that actually a review from Gene? Siskel? No, no, no. It was just okay. their username. Oh, it was it was posted in 2014. Who and Gene Siskel died a very long time ago. Yeah. So a, a guy pretending to be Gene Siskel's corpse. Yes. <laughs> oh boy, talk about a fright on Earth. Am I right? <laughs> this, Hello. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. But look, to sum it all uh, up, do, do you know Ryan? Those are good ones. Uh. Very. Uh. Just basically, these people. Uh, we're bored. <laughs> it seems they just bored. Um, but um, to sum up, to sum up one thing I like about this movie, I like movies that take place all in one night, right? Those types of movies are always fun. And two, I like movies where people drive at night. So take those two things, put them together. You got a winning formula in my eyes. Yeah. Even if and there's not much of a story, it it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't need to have like a big sweeping plot line either. I mean, as long as like the two people talking are actually giving like interesting dialogue and they're two people you kind of care about. That's that's all I that's that's what I'm looking for when I'm looking for these type of movies. Right. It, it asks you to um, you know, interact with the art in a different way than just like expecting like a tight plot or something. Yeah. Unless you had to read, then forget it. Right. <laughs> The Don't character, catch me doing that. The blind woman sums up when she says, "It's not about seeing; it's about feeling." And uh, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, another good addition in the Criterion canon. Mm-hmm. And what the heck are we going to talk about next week or next oh, episode? Boy. Not week, not week. <laughs> Let's well, not every, get that everybody's coming to my house to watch House, which without, and I, I say this. Uh, without kidding at all, this is my favorite Criterion. Terrific on the Criterion list, so I I am very very excited to talk about this movie. I look forward to it too. This is a very wild movie, and um, you know, uh, 
I it's love the Howl. Mo- it's the movie uh, everybody told me to watch, and I haven't watched it yet. So I will, I will this check is it the, out. This is the movie that got me into collecting Criterion. So after I bought this one, I was like, "What else you got?" Well, hey, Hugh Hugh Laurie is pretty awesome. So pumped oh, for yeah. that. I mean. I thought we were doing the William Katz movie. What? what? Oh, shit. <laughs> Which house are we watching? Well, folks, I'll tell you one thing. I'll be watching House in my apartment, okay? Who's ha- oh, um, I, I just Guys, I just got a house. You guys are more than welcome to come to my house. That's right. As long as I don't have to read it. Oh, well, I've got some bad news for you. Bad oh. news. But look, hey, Jim can watch movies without subtitles. I can watch foreign movies without subtitles. I've got good news. It's the end of the episode. We'll see you next time, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.